We're back to the Neil Haley Show on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program from The Brave, NBC's The Brave, Anne Haish. Anne, thanks for calling. And, uh, Hi. I-, I know you're excited about this project, and it's really, really interesting when you go into specifically undercover involving military and things like that. That's It's a show that will keep you on the edge of your seat, right? Am I correct, Anne? I mean, to to say the least. Yes, it's it's it's. It's rather mission impossible every week, and and it's so much fun to tell the stories of these human beings in the military who sacrifice their lives for us every single day. We take our jobs very seriously. We talk about it all the time. Like we aren't these real people, but there are people protecting us every day all over the world. We're an Omega team. We're made up of Delta, SEAL, and CIA, and there are Omega teams all over the world. And I think in seeing this show. What you are opened up to is an exploration of understanding that everyone wants peace. And there are many people all over the world trying to make that happen. And through this show and through the excitement of the show and the, and the drama of the show, you're actually able to see that there are people protecting us every single day. With all of their, with all of their might, they have decided to serve their countries above themselves. It's a very interesting thing to be uh, portraying these people and also understand that this is really what's going on. Well, it's good we know we're being protected, right? And that's the thing about learning about the show and stuff, to really learn the behind the scenes of what yes. can happen and, and that we're being protected. Yes, and also that all countries all over the world are not only protecting themselves, but we're working together. I think sometimes we think that, oh, we're just the United States of America and we're good. No, no, no. Nobody wants walls. Everybody wants peace. And I, I hope that brings peace. To us, and I also hope that it it illuminates the consciousness that says there are people out out risking their lives every single day for us that we don't know about. What are we going to do in our own communities? Can we look up from the, our interior selves and say oh, maybe I want to think about the idea and concept that I'm here to serve others, not only myself. And that's what these teams do, and that's what our military does, and they deserve to have stories told about them so that we understand and embrace that there are people protecting us. Okay, so let's kind of go into your character, Patricia Campbell, and tell us a little about your character. Well, Patricia Campbell is Deputy Director of Defense Intelligence uh, for the United States of America. And I say that with such, I can't even believe that I get to play somebody like that. Um, It was hard enough for me to even learn how to say that. (laughs) Um, And then when I thought, oh, gosh, great. I can say that, now maybe I can play it. Uh, she runs an Omega team. Omega team is made up of SEAL, Delta, and CIA. The CIA works, uh, the intelligence works through uh, Washington, D.C., and then speaks to her team, led by Mike Vogel, um, 5,000 miles away. And we are we have a mission every week um, that is trying to take out the bad and fill in with good. So that's that's great. And uh, playing that role, how did you prepare for that role, especially such an amazing role, meaning that that, that t- job title? It's it is it was incredible. I, I I mean, all I do, I feel like I gobble up information. I read more than I possibly could. Our show goes to thirteen countries and thirteen episodes. She holds the encyclopedia of knowledge of the pain in the world. She probably understands more darkness than any human being. And and. Starting at that point, you know, when you do, when you start a character, I, I try to go to the deepest, deepest part of that character and then build up. And I remember talking to somebody who was working in the Pentagon next to Condoleezza Rice, and 
as I started to think of all of this sorrow, like all of when you when you arm yourself with that, when you arm yourself with the fact that she has, I look at this man who stood by Condoleezza Rice and I said, "Is there anything to smile about?" And his answer was no. And I was like, "Oh no, that's that's dark." But that's not who Patricia is. Patricia is a person who wants to solve the problems in the world to create peace. And she probably holds the deepest knowledge, but also the most hope. And I love that. There's probably (laughs) nothing more that I've trained for in my life to be able to hold that responsibility of a woman who truly is this in real life. And of course I'm not, but I take my job very seriously in trying to represent the people who are so good, who are so intentioned in creating peace and harmony throughout the world. I love that position, and I feel honored that I got asked to play it. And now, are you, because of learning a lot of this knowledge, are you paying attention more to the news and ways and starting to shake your head even more than the average person because you know what's going on in uh, th- this world of the brave? Oh, and you so- have no idea. I'm like, I, I, I look at things differently. I read differently. I, I, well, somebody looked at me when I was hearing the New York Times the other day who does work in the Pentagon. They, they laughed at me. Like, oh, my God, you still think that's the truth? I was like, oh my God, you just, I do, I search in different places than I ever have. I read, I, because there's, what we are told is going on, and this is no new, no new news. What we're told going on isn't actually what's going on. And our show really does start to expose, like, this is what's really going on. Oh. We are one world. We, there are teams like this in 136 countries. We're Omega teams. The military is out there fighting for our peace and our survival and our lives every single day. And those stories deserve to be told. All right. So we got to check out The Brave Mondays, 10 p.m. Eastern, 9 p.m. Central on NBC. Can we connect with you, Anne, on social media as well to learn more about you? Where can we go? Oh, absolutely. Well, sure. Absolutely. You can do Instagram. I'm, I'm now newly into Twitter at Anne H. And, um, you know, I'm, 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 very, I'm, I'm very thrilled about this show. And I think once anybody tunes into it, they're gonna they're going to eat it up like I do because I'm as big a fan of this show as as the fans are. All right. Well, uh, thanks again for calling, and best of luck in all your ventures. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Mike Velarde Show. I'm excited to work for Mike Velarde. Mike, how are you? What's going on, man? Hey, great, Neil. How are you? Fantastic. Who's our guest today? Oh, t- Tony Sav is our guest. He's running for mayor. Uh, had the opportunity to meet him. Great guy. Tony, why don't you introduce yourself, tell everybody about you, and tell you what you're running for and what you're going to do for the people. Well, Mike and Neil, hello. Thank you for giving me this opportunity. My name is Tony Sav. I'm a 25-year Army veteran, colonel retired. I've had the opportunity to serve our country in some very major conflicts uh, to include Operation Enduring Freedom, Operation Desert Storm, Operation Iraqi Freedom. I commanded at the battalion and also company level. I flew Blackhawks for 20 some odd years and commanded uh, in the 101st Airborne Division on two occasions during, uh, during conflict. Uh, I would say that my, my greatest accomplishment was to lead our nation's uh, most precious resource and that's the American service member. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, uh, you're you're really a true patriot, Tony, and I can't tell you how much I enjoyed meeting you. And I think you do a great job in that position. And we want to help you the best that we can, because we need people like you in office. You couldn't be more right at such a pivotal time in our history. This is the first time in history, Mike, that I am in my life 
so concerned for the future of our country as we move further and further away from our constitution. And we have people that are in positions that are allowing this to happen. And I am disgusted by it. I'm hurt by it. And if we aren't all getting involved at this time, at this pivotal time in our history, we will lose our country. I, I agree, Mike, and I would say, and, and especially Tony, I want to add that, and then I'll let you have a question, Mike, about that. So what, what is the reason we're just seeing such a deterioration so quickly of the economy? Everyone's saying recession now. Everyone's broke. It went from COVID to this, and now we're sitting here like in a really bad situation where people are not even able to fill up their gas tanks anymore. People aren't able to, to feed them, pay bills, and these are middle-class people that are suffering. I'll be happy to tell you the reason. The reason is leadership, failure thereof. The reason why we're in this situation is because we have allowed people to be in positions for prolonged periods of time that do not have the American citizen and resident's best interest in heart. What they do have at heart are their families, their individual advancement, and money. They've been bought. They've been bought and paid for by whatever influence that is in Washington, in their state or in their county. Now, listen, the reason why Americans are now waking up is because it's affecting their wallets. They see it now. Everything that's happening at the national level is deliberate. It is not in no accident that right now we have an inflation rate that went from 1.4% when our uh, 45th president was in office to now 9.1 and they're saying it dropped down 8.5. It doesn't really matter to me. It's well over what it should be. And it's because we have cut our most precious resource of energy out of our economy. And until it comes back, we will not recover. There are many reasons why we're in this position, but most of it is because it's very deliberate, Nick. Neil. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, Tony. I even think it's worse than that. I think that the, the globalists, a small amount of globalists seem to have kind of taken power and control of the, the very high levels of government. And uh, they're intentionally destroying this country. I think it's intentional. You can't screw up this bad unless exactly. it's intentional. I mean, I know Joe, Biden, Joe Biden's a dummy, but he couldn't have executed a better a better plan to destroy America than he did by cutting out our energy independence. And then what they did to President Trump. I mean, I was a federal agent for 22 years, and I don't know what kind of probable cause they could have possibly had to do a search warrant. It's just beyond me. Uh, they didn't charge him with a crime. It's not a criminal case. It's a records case. Why would you do a search warrant on, a, on an archive on, when you're looking for old records? They, you know, he, he was complying with the subpoena. The only thing I could think of is they're looking for evidence to, to for another crime because I can't think of anything else, any other reason for them to go in there. And then the way it was done, yeah, it's beyond procedurally. If you do a search warrant, you're supposed to videotape everything. You you have to have probable cause for the judge to sign off on it. Now, my understanding, this was an Obama judge who absolutely hates Trump that signed this warrant, so he should have been recused from the very beginning. Um, the whole thing should have been videotaped. There's no tape of it. It should have been done with local agents. Usually when you have a warrant in a, a certain, certain geographical area, you use the local FBI guys. 
they intentionally brought in people from D.C. to execute this warrant. That tells you there's a, to me, it just smells of corruption. I don't know what you guys think, but I, I'm just seeing corruption all over the place. Every American, even if they did not back President Trump, former President Trump, should be extremely concerned about this. If they aren't concerned about this, then perhaps they should also be concerned about the fact that we are about to approve a bill or sign a bill, if it goes through the House, of 87,000 more IRS agents. We must wake up to this. We must wake up to the fact that in the job description of the agents that they're trying to hire, they are telling them that they may have to use deadly force if necessary. Now, listen, this is a call to arms or not arms, but a call to awakeness, awakening to our to our citizens, to our patriots, to people who love this country and understand that no government can survive in a free country like this under these circumstances. They are making every effort at this point because they have to do it in a timely manner to take our government before it changes by one of the houses of control. And that I, by that I mean the House will most likely take over by Republicans. So they are, they, they're making a run for the goal. And people have to understand that we must step in, they must call their congressmen, they must call their senators and make sure they understand that, look, here's what I'll tell you. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm on a roll here. No one in the Republican party that signed for this bill should have the opportunity to continue to exist as a public official. Here's why I'm saying that. The minute that bill was signed, the next week, they went to Mar-a-Lago. The next week. Now don't tell me that they would have done it the opposite way. The, the Democrats, in my opinion, at that point, pretty much said to the Republican Party, we got you. You signed our bill, and now we're going to go into Mar-a-Lago. Well, well, let me just clarify one thing. No Republicans signed off on that bill, not one. It was, they got Manchin, they got Cinema. they did it with 50 Democrats and Kamala Harris. Now it's sitting in Congress. That job posting that you saw for the special agents position was already funded. I was a special agent myself for 22 years. The reason they had that in there is when I was a special agent, I was a 9-11 responder. I got detailed to the Joint Terrorism Task Force right after 9-11. I was on the Drug Task Force for a while going after the Colombian drug dealers. I work Russian organized crime cases where we we went after the Russians who were stealing the gas tax in New York. OK. And there were a couple of times where I did have to pull the weapon. Thank God I never had to use it. Uh, I was also detailed to the Secret Service for about two weeks a year for 10 years before they left the Treasury to do uh, dignitary protection, because when everybody comes into the U.N., it's. It's the, the the United States wants to make sure that any dignitary that comes into the country has a Secret Service detail and they don't have enough personnel to to protect everybody. So whenever they come into the U.N., they use the other agencies. And, and since IRS criminal division was part of Treasury, we would get detail to the Secret Service for a couple of weeks while the U.N. was in session. So I did that for about 10 years. Um, I mean, when I took the job, they didn't tell us they didn't have that deadly force in there. You knew you were going to carry a gun. And 
it, it, I don't know whoever wrote that really didn't write it well. I mean, yeah. Are you going to be in situations you might have to shoot? Absolutely. Uh, because you do get detail to do other things. I mean, uh, a lot of IRS agents, a lot of criminal investigators with the IRS do the money laundering cases on all the with, with the DEA on the drug on, you know, going after the drug dealers. Uh, we make the cases for the money laundering. So we're usually on some sort of drug task force where we're, where we're doing that. Um, those positions, hopefully they should not. I mean, there should be no more than 3,500 special agents nationally. Um, it's shrunk from when I left to, to under 3,000. Now they want to pump it back up. And hopefully they're not going to add a whole bunch of others because the when, when, when you have an administration... Like this, using the criminal division of the IRS is absolutely ripe for abuse to go after your political enemies and to find something to go after them, uh, you know, and make the, the, the charge a criminal tax charge as opposed to a civil one. So I just this, want to clarify that. Well, thank you. And I'm sorry for that in that uh, that error in my uh, in my statement about the uh, the Republicans. But what I will say is this. This, this is unprecedented it's unprecedented and what i'm trying to uh implore to our your listeners is that if you are now still sitting on the sideline if you are now still complaining and not doing anything if you are now very worried about the future of your your kids your grandkids you must get involved you must voting is no longer enough Calling your congressman or congresswoman is no longer enough. What we must do now is get involved. You must get involved. If if every American that understands the trajectory of where we're going and is and is disturbed by it is not, we will lose what freedoms we already have and the ones that they're they're taking. They are increasingly taking more and more of our freedoms. They have not backed off one bit. No. No, you're right. You're 100% right. I think this is a last-ditch attempt. They know Republicans take Congress. There's going to be so many investigations. They, they already have. Peter Schweitzer wrote a book. They got like $30 million that's connected to the Bidens from China. Okay? He traced all the money. On 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 the computer that, that Hunter Biden left behind, they actually have audio clips of Joe Biden leaving messages for Hunter admitting to his knowledge of being involved in all these deals with China. That is not only impeachable, that's treasonous. And I don't know how anybody who can listen to Joe Biden in his own voice acknowledge that he's involved, not say, yeah, he has to go. He's going to be forced to resign. They know that. And they think there's going to be a lot of fallout from it. And they're doing everything possible because they know if Trump's in office, if he becomes president in 24, and certainly if Congress flips in 2023, right after the election in 22, they're going to immediately impeach Biden. Biden's going to be out. Democrats are going to be looking terrible. It, it, set, it sets the table for Donald Trump to come in again and then turn the country around, and that's the last thing they want because they're looking at it as the end of the Democratic Party. So, Mike, so how would that happen? So you're telling me if Biden, if the midterms turn out the way you're thinking they're going to turn out unless there's fraud, yeah. as you're saying, 
that right. Trump can become president. Yeah, he can become he'll become president in twenty twenty four, and because because look, Biden's going to be impeached. Not only going to be he's going to be forced to leave office. There's no way that you can listen to this guy in his own words. And maybe you guys have heard the clip. Maybe you have it where he talked about how we got the prosecutor fired. He said, yes, yes. Okay, that's Biden yes. in his own words. Yes. Admitting to a quid pro quo. I mean, how could you not say guilty? It's him telling you he did it. That was uh, during the interview on the Department of uh, International Affairs, I believe, where he was uh, yeah. he was, Biden, uh, reported right. in saying, yeah. Biden, Biden thinks that, you know, he's, he's talking to a friendly crowd and it's never going to get out to the other side. Meanwhile, he doesn't understand it's being recorded for public consumption. He doesn't get it. Right. Now you got you got that you got him leaving messages to Hunter Biden, okay, and those are recorded. Again, you got you got the you got the uh, voicemails, and so you got Joe Biden in Joe Biden's own voice admitting to taking money from China, and then he's selling our oil to China. Well, you know, uh, Mike. Listen, I I hear what you're saying. I agree with what you're saying. But when I look at what has taken place in the history of uh, the Republicans taking both the House and the Senate and their performance afterwards, I've uh, been yeah. greatly, greatly disappointed. Now, I I do believe that what you're saying is true and it's the right thing to do. But I have little faith. I have little faith that it will be done. So we have to start doing things from bottom up. That's yeah. why I'm running for the county Absolutely. mayor. And I believe that if you start changing the behavior and conduct with people in that act like leaders and not like politicians that don't that don't bow to the money and bow to the authorities that exist within their specific areas, you can begin to take hold of the control of the counties and by that you can, take, can, can begin to support that, that conservative government at the <laughs> state level, and it all follows up. So this is a reason why I'm running for, for county mayor. Um, we, we've got to start down at the bottom and work our way up. We have to completely rebuild trust and confidence in our government at the most lowest level so people have confidence in what – the biggest calls I'm getting from people are, are you really who you say you are, Tony? Mm. Are you really who you say you are? Because I don't want to vote in another person that's going to disappoint me. They are so sick of it. And what I tell them is this. Yes, I am exactly who I say I am. If you go on any radio interview and you listen to me, I say exactly what, what is on my mind. And when I get in there, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm not a politician. Right. And if, if the chips fall on me, then, well, they, they just fall on me. I'm going to be accountable for what I say and what I do. Right, exactly. No, and you have the background, you have the character, and uh, I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to meet each other uh, because I really believe that you are the person that could make a difference, especially in that in that city as its mayor. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome. So, so Tony, so basically, what are your chances you think of winning, being coming mayor? My chances are great. They're great. And I will always say that because, you know, I'm not going to be in this race if I, I'm not running this race to lose it. 
I'm running this race to win it. Now, do I have obstacles? Oh, yeah. I got many of them. But have I had them in my life? Yes. Yes, sir, I have. Uh, I will tell you like this. Um, the further and closer or the closer and closer we get to actually uh, election, because they started early voting on the 8th and it ends on the 23rd. So the closer and closer we get to the final day of, of voting, which is election day on the 23rd of August, I am more and more encouraged by the phone calls that I'm getting, by the uh, the the concern I'm getting from our residents here in Orange County, and also uh, from the actual fervor that I see happening with other races that are taking place right here, the local races that are taken right here in the county. Um, there's something happening. Now, is it going to be enough? I'm leaving that to God. I, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving it to God. I can't worry about that. Only thing I can worry about doing now is being true to my word of who I say I am, running as, as, as honest a race as I can. I did not take, I don't have money from any large organization. Um, most of the money that went into my race came from my pocket. And the other money that I've received from my campaign have come from people that care about their country and believe in me. And, you know, um, I'm humbled by that because uh, it means a lot to me that people that don't have the money give it to me and they're expecting me to do the right thing. I can't let them down. You know, that's tremendous. That's tremendous, Tony. And we, we're behind you. We want to see you win. We want to see you get the people you need, get the money you can in place, do what, do what's necessary to, to overcome in that area because um, you're right, man. We see it in all these cities. I mean, look at New York City. I mean, right. for 20 years, there was Republican mayors, uh, Giuliani and then Bloomberg. And all Bloomberg did was keep Giuliani's policies in place. But he looked like a star doing it. Won, won, won the mayorship three times. Then then they get a Democrat, Bill de Blasio. Didn't take Bill de Blasio too long to destroy the place. Yes, sir. And Eric Adams has not done much to make it better. Let me tell you a little, a little vignette that speaks to what you've just said, Mike. Right here in Orange County, when the incumbent, uh, Mayor Demings, uh, ran all, over three and a half years ago for office, his platform was housing that it needed to be improved. There was a massive shortage of housing in this county and it needed to be addressed so that in the coming years, we would be able to accommodate the influx of residents coming into this county. This is a great place to live, great mm -hmm. place to live. There are a lot of opportunities here. It is the number one tourist attraction in the world. People want to come here. And when I say want to, how about about a thousand every week coming from all over this country? And they're right. coming here because there are low taxes and no state taxes. And there is a freedom of entrepreneurship when you get here that you're going to have success in building a business or working in a business. Now, do we have our issues yet? But getting back to housing, he ran on the platform of wanting to, to fix it. So right now we're sitting three, more than three and a half years later. We're sitting in a housing crisis. We have young families coming into our county that are living in apartments, paying some almost uh, $2,000 a month 
for rent. This is, this, this is inexcusable. I'm talking about a two room apartment. Some paying yeah. some $2,900 a month for rent. So why is this happening? This is happening because we didn't prepare. Look, as an officer in the army for 25 years, if I didn't prepare and make sure that my unit was ready to fight and it was ready to defend itself and ready to execute the mission that needed to be commissioned, I would be relieved in place. Right there and then and there, someone would take my place. There is no second chances at this. So right. what now has to happen is almost a Manhattan project of getting a vast number of units that have to accommodate to low income, new families, residents that want to live in apartments, all different sectors of our population in the county so that we can start to lower the price on all of the rent and mortgages that people are paying. We're in a crisis right now. People are being turned away. People are being home or, or greater people are being homeless. So I have a plan to do that. So I, I'm sorry, I overtalked that. No, 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 that's, that's fine. You want to expand on your plan? Sure. What I'm envisioning, and listen, this is, this is, uh, uh, I've talked to contractors about this that are here in the city. What I want to, what I'm envisioning is concentrating on our local businesses, our local contracting businesses. Also, I'm looking at taking the dwellings that the county now owns, and there's some 4,100 uh, and some odd of, I thought there were five. The, the number is kind of hard to get at, but there are roughly about 4,100 of them that are just sitting dormant because uh, they've been turned over to the county. What I'd like to do is turn those into repurposing for a family. If these are houses that can be refurbished, what I want to do is make it incentively uh, palatable to our contractors, our local contractors, to go in and buy these homes, rebuild them or refurbish them, remodel them, and then sell those back to the public. Now, this costs, is, this costs very little for the county to do since those are already owned by us. And what we're gaining from that is putting more people to work within our county and getting more units on the market. This is a supply issue. We must increase the number of units. What I'd also like to do is identify those properties that the county owns that would be suitable to either low income or first time buyers or other categories of, of housing, maybe uh, higher income housing, and get those also uh, into our uh, private sector contracting so that they can be bid on, bid on so that the, the contractors have to compete for these areas and make it a partnership between the county and our private sector to start really uh, getting into building in these prop on these properties so that we can start increasing our numbers. What's happening is we are bringing people into our county, God bless them, but they're not being able to find any place to live. So naturally, a landlord or an owner can go up on those prices. It's just simple supply and demand. Right. Right. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Yes, sir. So th this... This, this is something that really should not have happened this way. Right. We should have been building 
three, three and a half years ago, units that would be opened up and we would be have the expectation of what's going to happen. Now, no one knew about the pandemic. I understand that. Right. And no one also knew that the residents of New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, you name it, uh, Illinois, would get so tired of their states that they would move into states like Florida and Texas because they had to get away from the crime, the high prices, the the uh, inability to have the freedoms that they once did. They came into places where they can live their lives in freedom. And right. we want to be able to accept all of our residents. Absolutely. Wow. I mean, it's a uh, uh, last question for you, Tony. So tell us exactly how people can find information on you and how they can vote, how they can be part of that, your campaign to get things going so that you can become mayor. Yes, sir. They can go to Tony Sab for mayor.com. That's T O N Y S as in Sam, A as in Apple, B B as in boy, for mayor, F O R M A Y O R.com. And you will find my, my website there. You can donate to my campaign. Uh, as we get along to the inside, end of our race, I am really in need of donations and also volunteers. All right, fantastic. And Mike Velarde, books.com, winningtaxsolutions.com, and MikeVelardeShow.com. I appreciate Mike. appreciate Tony. Tony, you're a breath of fresh air as a politician. Thank you again for your service. We really appreciate it. And to bring someone in with your leadership qualities to become mayor, I know it's going to happen, and I appreciate you coming by. Thank you so much for having me. And you'll be hearing from me soon, hopefully right. in the mayor's office. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. All right. That was the Mike Velarde Show, guys. Take care. Hi, everyone. And welcome to the Rob Rosselli Show. I'm excited to welcome Rob Rosselli. Rob, what's going on? How are you? I'm okay, Neil. How are you? Fantastic. What is our topic for today? What do you want to chat about? Well, first things first, let me before, so in case we get cut off or the time runs short, let me say boxofsunglasses.com and God's Simple Salvation Plan and very simple to come to a relationship with Jesus Christ, his son, forgiveness of sins, just needs to be asked for, become a Christian, tell all us about Christianity, and the background, you know, a lot of verses and biblical background and questions that people might need answered are there. Again, that's God's Simple Salvation Plan on thoughtsofsunglasses.com, and there's a reason I bring that out first. Um, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and... Uh, Things are devolving relatively quickly here, and, and I, I don't know what else to say, but that's that. Yeah, so what's really going wrong now? I'm hearing certain things about uh, Trump and stuff. What's new What's new with that? that? Well, what happened in, in Mar-a-Lago, Florida, and, you know, Trump's resort down there is kind of conversation we had last week segues exactly into this whole raid thing and what nobody – the angle nobody is really taking is that, as I stated, with, with schools and, you know, evolution and liberalism in general, which is the cousin of socialism and communism, um, it has to be forced. It has to be forced on people. It has to be done at gunpoint, okay, because liberalism is just socialism with a fancy name. It's just it's top-down control. It's government control. It's a form of fascism. It's top-down government control of everything from industry to individuals. And for people, to, it, it's antithetical to human nature, so it has to be forced to gunpoint, threat of violence, uh, prison walls, 
you know, the Berlin Wall, this type of thing, barbed wire. This is how it works, and we're starting to see that. Okay, so 30 to 40 FBI agents, and the FBI, I guess we can call it the new Stasi, the new secret police, the new, the new Gestapo, whatever, whatever analogy you want to throw in there. So 30 to 40 agents with guns drawn show up at Trump's resort was under really weak justification because if it was justified by now, you know, this being what, three to four days after the raid, we would have heard something, you know, they would have had something on Trump and they would have released a warrant if they had something legitimate. So it's all, it's all theater, um, basically, but it's there for intimidation. And then the message is if we can do this to a next president and, and for all intents and purposes, the next president, uh, going in or the next presidential candidate for the, Republicans going into the 2024 elections. We can do this to him. We can do this to anybody. So it's a message of intimidation. <clears throat> and I think the next day, a congressman from Pennsylvania, maybe, I don't remember, but anyway, had his cell phone seized by the FBI. Uh, you know, how many of Trump's, you know, Steve Bannon and Roger Stone have been arrested by the FBI, taken into custody. Meanwhile, on the flip side, Hunter Biden all, has all kinds of shady business dealings going in the Ukraine and China. Now, the Ukraine, we've sent over, I don't know, $40 billion plus of economic, so-called economic aid, and who knows how many billions of weapons. And from what I'm reading, a lot of that economic aid is disappearing, and then a lot of that, a lot of those weapons are disappearing as well into the black market which is something that should be investigated. Of course, you know, Hunter Biden has all kinds of shady business deals going on with the Ukraine. The same thing with China. Okay, so Mr. Environmental Joe Biden, who I told you is a nasty old man. I mean, you know, he might be, he's claimed as a moderate, but he's a nasty old man and he's a racist. And I mean that, I know that term's overused, but the man really is from the old white boy Democratic Party and he is a racist. And maybe we can get into that before the show's over, but... You know, that sidebar aside, that nasty old man with his son, his cocaine crack wielding son, uh, had, you know, more shady business dealings in, in China. <clears throat> okay. And then, you know, of course, Biden gives away our strategic oil reserve to China, which is really, which is really bad. I mean, the strategic oil reserve is there for a reason, and it's the oil. If we ever run into a real pinch with oil supplies or war, or they got cut off, terrorism, et cetera, that strategic reserve is supposed to keep the country going for at least a month or whatever the time frame is until things normalize. Or, and Biden gave it all away. So Mr. Environmental, you know, it shows you what a load of crap the environmental movement is, and we went through that. And people can read that, the inconvenient scientific method on my, on the second page of my website, I believe it is. There's a link. If you go through it, if you go to boxofsunglasses.com, you can, you can scroll down. I'm in one of the paragraphs is the inconvenient scientific method. You can read that with a load of scientific crap, what a con man, you know, Al Gore, Al Gore really isn't a charlatan and a snake oil salesman. But anyway, so Biden gives it away to China, the biggest polluter in the world. So it's really not about the environment. It's really about top-down control, okay, with these people. Yeah. They use the environment as a, as a cover. Will, will, can you say something? No, I was going to talk about, so what's happening with Biden? Do you think he's going to be prosecuted? Biden? Yeah. 
No, he's in the club. He's in, he's in the old boys club, the old boys and girls club, you know, with Hillary and Epstein, you know, Epstein's supposed to kill himself, right? You know, so you either, either get killed or you're, or you're immune from any kind of prosecution. I mean, it's that simple. I mean, look at, look at Hillary with her, with her server in her, in her, in her closet in her house in Westchester County, New York. I mean, with all kinds of foreign governments breaking in and stealing. I mean, if anybody should be indicted and jailed, it should be her. But instead, they go after Trump. 30 to 40 agents go after Trump with guns drawn, with documents that had already been reviewed by the FBI and the National Archives and this sort of thing. So the whole, the whole thing's a joke. I hate to say it, but this country is, is, is probably headed for a civil war, and I'm not encouraging it, and I'm not saying that, but you know, people are going to start drawing a line in the sand with this, with this nonsense. They okay. see everything that's going on. So it, it's, and, and then, one, then once that happens, then it'll be right for invasion. And who knows? I mean, the whole country's being ripped apart as we speak. And not to mention the wars, the droughts all over the world. Okay. That are happening. Crop failures. The war in Ukraine is, is killed off a large amount of the world's meat supply. Okay, um, and it's just happening everywhere. We have major droughts in the Midwest and the far west of this country, threatening the food supply in this country. I mean, the state of California is under a drought emergency, and they're a major supplier of food. So, what do you? I don't, you know, I guess geoengineeringwatch.com or .org if people are interested to see what's going on with the weather. But whether the whole phenomenon is natural or man-made is beyond my you know, beyond my time to, to look into it. But these, the fact is, is that we have all these pressure points pointing inward. <clears throat> this is kind of explains why I opened up the show with God's simple salvation plan, because we have maniacs and psychopaths and con men and genocide freaks running the world right now. And this is basically what it comes down to. And, you know, you, you can see with Trump, I mean, who's an American first populist. I'm not saying the man's perfect. A little disappointed, you know, in his push for the vaccines and all this. But, you know, nobody's perfect. But the bottom line is, as imperfect as he is, he's an he's a American first populist. And this is why you can't have a guy like that being president. Um, the last one, I mean, Reagan. You can make an argument for Reagan. But I think Reagan knew where he not to tread without getting his head blown off. Although John Hinckley Jr. did try to attempt an assassination, but the real, the last real populist president that tried to break up the CIA and tried to take on the military-industrial complex was JFK, and we all know what happened to him. Of course, he was he was blown away by a magic bullet that changed paths in midair and the pristine okay. bullet. All right. You know, the whole Kennedy assassination was another joke, but he was the last one. So, you know, the presidents after him got the message. Exactly. All right. So boxesunglasses.com for more information, Rob. And we'll see what's happening with Trump. Looks like, will Trump be ever president? Looks like it's not looking good for him if they continue to do things like this. Um, I don't know if the country's going to last that long, Neil, but we'll see. All right. Boxesunglasses.com. Thanks again. And Guys, all right? And that was the Rob Roselli Show. Guys, take care. We're back to the Neil Haley Show here on the Total Celebrity segment. I'm excited to welcome the program. My co-host, first of all, Greg Hanna from Toss C3. How are you, Greg? And I know you're excited about our guest, and, and, and it's always fun to chat with you. How are you, Greg? 
Uh, doing fantastic, Neil, and I can't wait to talk to the guests. All right. So I'm excited of our guest today. It's Mark Cole, director, cinematographer. He's going to teach us a lot of things. That, hey, I don't really know about it in my follow-up questions, and he's going to talk, promote Quest that's on Disney+. Plus. Mark, thanks for stopping by. How are you? Oh, yeah. No problem. I'm excited. All right. The Quest, and we'll get right to it. But let's first go with uh, Greg's first question for Mark. Go ahead. Well, hey, Mark. It's a pleasure to meet you. Yeah. Um, did uh, you always want to be a film director? Well, let, uh, let's clarify. I'm actually the director of photography on this, even right. though I do I do uh, quite a bit of directing of like commercials and things, and I'm in the Directors Guild of America. But uh, on this particular project, I was the director of photography and the cinematographer. Meaning your career growing up? That's the question. Did you always? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Um, well, I worked my I worked my way up uh, to uh, directing, but uh, it wasn't like I was. Uh, my goal in life was to be a director. I kind of fell into the, the, the film business uh, actually through a music career. And, um, you know, I started off shooting my own things and editing them. And then uh, I kind of, it kind of evolved into an overall storytelling kind of thing, which obviously in, includes directing. Um, you know, a lot, of, a lot of the storytelling is in the directing end, but it's also in the, in the editing end as you put the pieces of the puzzle together. But I found that my skills really, and uh, my heart really just loved being on set, right? So, and, and with that, uh, you know, came operating the camera and then, uh, you know, creating the image and then uh, overall just working with people and telling stories. So I'm drawn to the overall storytelling, you know, uh, uh, career. I just love, I love all of that together. So yes, directing, and then also obviously directing photography is a big part of it. And um, as I get on larger and larger shoots throughout my career, I moved more into the cinematography directing part, which is obviously vital to the, to the storytelling uh, uh, piece. And, uh, but, you know, working closely with directors and understanding blocking and understanding uh, framing and understanding what the image says to the audience and how you compose it. And, um, you know, how you can tell stories without even words uh, by just an image and art direction, all that sort of thing. So yeah, I'm drawn. Uh, but to answer your question, I wasn't. It wasn't like I got you know went through uh, a, a part of my life where I laid in bed and went, I want to direct. It just kind of evolved into that, you know. And and uh, I think uh, by being on set and on thousands of set over the sets over the years, I started to see all the different departments because there's so many artists on a set, you know. And, but I was still, I kept gravitating towards camera. I just wanted to be around the camera. I wanted to be around, you know, the people in front of the camera, the lighting, uh, uh, all of aspects of the lensing and, the, and that. And obviously that uh, goes hand in hand with directing and director of photography. So, yeah. It's interesting. So, so the mixture between a photography and film kind of define that, you know, how you're going to talk about photography versus the camera, the camera of the, of the film. Well, I mean, like uh, someone told me a very long time ago um, that there's two directors on a larger set, right? There's the director that tells the story and that's everybody knows what, you know, uh, that that person does. And then there's the person that directs the photography, right? So we're there when you when you get to a set, you're there to photograph it. You're there to record it, right? And that's when uh, the uh, that's when, you know, I really jump in with that. But 
so much of it is a very tight collaboration with the storytelling director because the visuals are storytelling, right? So as we know, you know, we've seen uh, lots of movies that have, um, you know, really very little dialogue, but yet the visuals really got to tell the story along with the music and everything. So it's a very collaborative process. And um, I think that is, that's really exciting because that's, that's, you know, when you, especially when you go to different locations and you have different um, uh, scenarios with different lighting and different issues. And, and uh, again, there's an instinctual process to it that I really enjoy, um, you know, f f photographing things and running the crew and making sure you stay on schedule without losing your creative vision. That's always the challenge. So most of it also, you know, it's an artistry, but it's also, um, you know, like I said before, it's, it's sort of a spiritual instinctual process of, you know, reading kind of where things are going to go in the scene and, and how, how the actors are going to react and the blocking and, and kind of going through all of that with them at the same time being somewhat invisible, right? Because we don't want to really draw attention to the camera. We really don't want to distract the actors. We want to be, uh, you know, very mindful of that sort of thing. And, and again, creating, staying with the overall creative look and also staying on schedule and battling, you know, weather, battling sound problems, battling all kinds of problems. And uh, it's a very exciting and stressful position, but that's really what I love about it because it's always different. It's never the same, right? It seems so different. There's more questions to think about in all these things because we don't see those examples. The final piece of the puzzle, Greg, I'll go back to Greg on this, is when we finally see that movie or we see that TV show or we see that streaming or commercial, we don't know all that goes into it, Greg. And we're learning this from Mark, aren't we, Greg? No, man, it's amazing. So, you know, Mark, talking about the storytelling, what was it like working with a creative genius like Francis Ford Coppola? Uh, well, I worked, I worked mostly, he produced, um, he produced a movie I did, I, I shot for his uh, nephew, Christopher Coppola. So I didn't work directly with his creative vision. I worked with the lineage of him, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, that was fun. We, we actually shot at his, uh, vineyard and Martin Sheen was, it was a Western called the gunfighter and, uh, Martin Sheen and Bobby Carradine were in it. So I got to work with some pros on that. We actually, it was an old it, I was matching film that uh, they had shot on an on a old um, format called Technoscope. And actually, Francis owned the cameras. So we used all of his own equipment and we shot right there on his vineyard up in Napa. Yeah, that was, that was a fun job. Yeah. So what about for mentors? What, who would you say you know, worked with that was like, wow, this really was a big influence on me in my career? Um, well, there's several. I mean, you know... Uh, well, just some of the people I worked with on the quest are, you know, uh, you know, extremely intelligent, creative people that have been around a very long time. And, you know, uh, I don't know if you guys have actually seen the show, but it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's a hybrid. So the producers of the amazing race, um, you know, Mark Ordesky and Jane Fleming. And then we had, uh, I mean, I'm sorry, that was the, the, the Lord of the Rings. And then the amazing race, Bertram, and company. Uh, so th those are extremely, you know, high-end creative people, and I got to work under their umbrella into this hybrid of a scripted uh, reality competition show. So um, you know, they're very different in their genres and in in those types of shows. But 
you know, we, we have the quest is, you know, a part of a, it looks like a $200 million fantasy movie, right? It's Lord of the Rings. And then it meets the challenge and the, um, the obstacles of the amazing race with real kids immersed into this world. And we go into sort of a live television kind of thing as, as the kids solve challenges and puzzles as wow. they go through uh, the castle and uh, the, you know, the dark forces that are coming to take over the castle and what have you. So uh, cinematically, it was very challenging and actually storytelling wise, it was very challenging because you know, we had, like I said, a movie right? That we have uh, these characters, kings and princes and all of this. And then we have eight real 13 to 15 year old kids that come in in street clothes and have to immerse themselves into this environment, change into uh, these paladin clothes and then help the characters in the movie, if you will, fight off the dark forces that are trying to take over the kingdom through these, uh, through these puzzles and challenges that are based on the virtues, right? So it's, it's quite a, an interesting project. And we approached it, I approached it very cinematically. And, uh, you know, instead of going into a reality type look, when we went to the reality competition, we stayed with our cinematic vibe of, you know, Lord of the Rings. And right. we saw that all the way through. So that's something that I don't think has ever been done. And we, we actually shot a widescreen anamorphic, which I don't think has been done in any no. reality type competition. So it's sort of, when you watch the show, it's seamless. It's, it goes right into these live challenges looking like, you know, Lord of the Rings. So I think it's quite, uh, it's quite different. And I think uh, the team we had in place, it was just, it was actually fascinating working with these, all these, you know, the creative people and then in mixing the stories and, and uh, it works very nicely. It's really a, a different piece of uh, cinema for sure. Wow. It, se it seems like a different piece of cinema and it's something, Greg, when you talk about, you know, the discussion as we're talking about the quest that's going to be on Disney plus Greg, I, I, when I, when I heard the name, the quest you, and look at the poster, you wouldn't think it's the real kids adding that to the competition makes something unlike anything else for sure. Yeah. And you know, when we, when we went into it too, uh, Disney didn't want it to feel like a reality show in any way. So there, therefore there's no, um, there's no interviews, right? There's nobody looking at the camera. There's no um, what we call background packages. Usually in a reality type show, you do background packages on people to establish who they are. You know, this is Timmy from Ohio. He's a math student, you know, whatever. We didn't do any, any, any of that. So we, we instead, you know, had set pieces, uh, like we had a fire pit that was uh, just after some of the challenges and the kids would go around the fire pit and, and talk. And we would learn about who they were through these organic conversations, as well as their barracks and the places that they stayed. And uh, we would, you know, we would start to learn about who they are, uh, you know, authentically through them, them chatting with each other. Um, and then, you know, of course, it's streaming. So as you watch through and binge watch the episodes, it, eventually all the characters evolve and you can see who they are as a person. And we learn more and more about each person and you become very engaged. And actually, the, as you as you watch the episodes, they get more, you know, you get more and more drawn into who are these kids and what's driving them and, you know, how are they going to get through these challenges? So it, it's a different format all the way around. It doesn't it, we broke the standard 
uh, network television format of reality type competition format. And then obviously added in the scripted element on top of it to create even more drama. So there's a lot of beautiful visual effects in it. And, uh, and on that note, since we had the, the kids and we were doing everything live and organic with them, most of the visual effects were done in camera so that the kids could actually see it. You can't really, it's not really authentic if they're reacting to a green screen, right? So yeah. we didn't do anything like that. You know, we had, um, we had an episode where we had these things called wispets flying all through the castle and all the stuff where they were actually drones. So they were act we were actually flying these things around them. So they, uh, so it startled them and, and we created those reactions that way. Yeah. That's crazy. How is it for you being involved in the quest project compared to other projects that you've been involved with in your career? Well, uh, I was just mentioning quite a bit of it, but, um, you know, I, I always enjoy things that are different. Like I don't, most of the most of the shows I've shot have been pilots, which I enjoy because you're creating something from the ground up. You're not taking over somebody else's look. You're not coming into, you know, season three or something. And, and like I said, following what's already been established that works. You're starting from the ground up. And when you start anything like a show from the ground up, I don't care what you put on paper. You don't know what it is. You just don't know. It finds itself. Right. And that's the exciting part. You know, we, we plan and we plan and we plan, but when you go into it and you start to, you know, get on set and work with characters and stuff, it starts to evolve, right? And then you start to see, oh, it's not going the way we thought, but it's going over here, which is even cooler or unexpected, or you take a little bit of this and, and you mix it with that and then this works and, you know, um, so that's exciting to, to, to come at something and, and really develop it. And that's obviously the most difficult part because we learn so much, right? right. You know, we did this once in 2013 and I think it aired in 2014 in, uh, for ABC, which is obviously owned by Disney. And um, it, was a, it was a different show, but we shot it. I mean, it was called The Quest, but it, it was, it, it, it's not formatted quite the same as this one. We learned quite a bit on that. We had 12 adults in that one. And, um, you know, it was just a, a different, uh, it was a different thing. And I think it wasn't quite accepted as well as it is now. Um, because I think now, um, years later, the, our viewership is different. You know, we didn't really have, you know, FaceTime and Zoom and where people are immersed in like what we're doing right now. We didn't have this type of technology where people are as familiar with the cameras being around, you know, they accept that, um, you know, one of the, one of the things we were concerned about on the quest, uh, on this one was, you know, are they going to think the kids are actors and they're bad actors? Are they going to know they're real kids? You know, you know what I mean? If we don't change the look of it, how's the viewer going to know who's who and whatever. But I think we've evolved since 2014 into, something where you know kids accept these sort of things we are immersed in technology you know we're we're not wearing vr headsets and playing video games and we're immersed with people around the world and we're playing you know different things with them so it's more of an accepted observer subjective mix that's uh in film is uh, it seems to work you know our job our job really as filmmakers is to keep you watching right right keep interested well, the quest definitely does that because you, 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 you want to see what is this, what's going on. And, and